0: Good morning. Good morning, Mark. 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 So I wanna think about, and I think most of us in here can relate to this, I wanna think about a time that you maybe moved to a new place, to a new country, to a foreign culture, a place you haven't been before. When Denise and I moved here to Ireland, we quickly realized how much of outsiders that we are. The way that we dress is different. Uh, If you didn't know, if you can't tell from my accent, I'm from America. Our habits are different, our accents are different. And these things set us apart from the Irish people and it shows them that we are outsiders, we're from the outside. And these are external differences that I just mentioned but there's internal differences too. How do the Irish see the world? How do the Irish see life? And that's something, growing up in America, that's something that I don't have. Because I didn't, go, I didn't grow up in the Irish school system. I didn't grow up with Irish friends. I can er- open a current account. I know how to shop uh, you know, at the shops. I know, you know when to go to Aldi, when to go to Dunn's. But those are superficial things that I can learn. But there's other things, deep, deeper internal things that I don't understand. Uh, an Irish, uh, an Irish man. You may know him, uh, Mervin Scott. Some of you know him. I'm going to share one of his stories, and I'm sure he'd be all right with that. Uh, he was. T- he, I was talking to him about this one time, and he said, "Yeah, even even for the Irish living in Ireland, you can be an outsider." And so he told me a story about the time that he moved from Dublin and he moved down to Cork. Uh, he's a Dublin man. He moved to Cork. I can see. I can see some of you nodding along. You know, maybe what's coming, and uh, he had. Uh, part of his hob in his kitchen, it broke, and so he went to the hardware store to get the replacement part. And the guy behind the counter, you know, handed him the part. And when he looked at it, he, kn- he just he noted it was different. He's you know, it was like a circle, and the one that he was used to, and you know, that he'd had at his old house, it was a triangle or something like that. And he just commented. He said, "Oh, this is different than what I have it had uh, on my hob back in back in Dublin." And Uh, And the guy behind the counter says, well, you're not in Dublin anymore, are you? So even even in Ireland, moving to a different county, to a different city, moving from the country into town, you can be an outsider. You're a blow-in if this isn't where you're from. Now, some of you have children. Some of you that are outsiders like me, Some of you have children that were born here, that have grown up in Ireland, and they have had a different experience than you. They're not quite insiders, but they're a lot closer to being an insider than you are or than I am because they've grown up here. They were born here. They were raised in the Irish system. They have Irish friends. They probably even speak the Irish language. And so it's interesting to me when I get to interact uh, In America, or at least in in the American Christian world of missions, we have a, a term for this. It's called a third culture kid because the child lives at home with his parents from their home culture, and then they exist outside of the home in a different culture, and then their own culture is this third culture that's a combination of the two. And so they have one foot in the world and the culture of their parents, and they have another foot in the surrounding culture, and I love talking to uh, to kids that are in this situation because, uh, well, one, just selfishly, it helps me to get an idea of what things are like. I get to learn, you know, I get to learn some slang uh, and you know what kids like to do, and it gives me a better insight uh, into what the Irish experience is like. Now, Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus existed before creation because Jesus made creation. But then Jesus came to earth. And you might be tempted to think, you might be tempted to think, oh, well, he's maybe he's a bit like these third culture kids because he's got one foot in heaven and he's got one foot here on earth. But that's not, that wouldn't be an accurate way to look at that because Jesus isn't 50% of one thing and 50% of another thing, he, he, Jesus is fully God. But at the same time, he's fully human. Because he was born on earth, and he lived on earth as a human, uh, and grew up and he had friends, and all these things uh, that, that, that I was just mentioning. Um, and so Jesus is like the ultimate insider. Because he came from the outside, but he's 100 percent on the inside. So the text that we're looking at today, Hebrews 2:14 to 18, answers, uh, answers a question. It answers the question, Why did Jesus have to become flesh and blood? Why did he have to become human? Now immediately, somebody, somebody might be thinking something along the lines of, well, I didn't ask that question. Or you might be thinking, well, I'm not too too bothered about this because I know Jesus was born and I'm happy enough with that. I'm not concerned about why it had to happen. Or maybe somebody is thinking, you know, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. What does it matter if he was fully human or if he was something else? If you're thinking something like this, that's fine because that's what we're going to talk about. Um, And if you really do want to know the answer, hopefully I'm thinking that we'll have an answer for for you on this uh, by the end this morning. So to start, before getting to the question of why Jesus had to become human, here's a short answer of why we should care, why we care, why we're having this discussion about Jesus' humanity. The reason we care enough to discuss the nature of Jesus' being is that it helps us to know more about him and what he experienced. And through this, it helps us to know Jesus more. And as we know Jesus more, We learn more about him and think about the things that he did. We think about why he did them. It helps us to understand him. We understand more what his purpose is, the things he said and did. It helps us to understand his love for us, God's love for us, God the Son's love for us. So the reason that we look at things like this is that it helps us to know Jesus more. It helps us to know his love for us more. And it helps us to love him more. So, the question. Why did Jesus have to become flesh and blood? Why did he have to become human? So, let's look at the text. Jason just read it for us. So, I don't think we need to read it again. So. What we're going to look at first is we're going to look at the first two verses. Verses 14 and 15. So, I'm going to read those. You can read along. Um, And what you're going to look for is you're going to look for maybe an answer. And then what we're going to do to unpack what the author of Hebrews is saying here is we're going to look at these two verses in reverse. That's going to help us. We're going to reverse the logic, and that's going to help us to figure out what it is he's saying, what his train of thought is. So let let me read the verses. Verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So, a bit of context first before we go in reverse. Um, uh, If if you look back just a little bit above at verse 10, we see... Uh, that 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 passage said, for is fitting that he God for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation which is Jesus perfect through suffering and so we're talking about we're in the middle here in verse 14 we're in the middle of a conversation about the salvation that Jesus provides through his death for us and so the sons here in verse 10 the many sons that are brought to glory that's us And so at the beginning, in verse 14, the children that share in flesh and blood, that's us, that's what what we're talking about. So, in reverse. Now, starting at the end of verse 15, what do we see that Jesus did? He delivers those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It's deliverance. This is what Jesus did. He delivers us who were under the oppression of death. How did he do this? Well, look at the end of verse 14, just before. He destroys the one who has the power of death, the devil. And how did Jesus destroy the devil? Well, look right before that. We see that it's through death. And we know that this is Jesus' own death. And how was Jesus able to die? Look again, just one more. One more look in reverse. He partook in flesh and blood. He became human. He became Human. Just like us, God's children. So we see the answer to the question right here. Why did Jesus become human? To free us. To free us from the slavery of sin and death. How did he do it? He did it by becoming, by becoming human and dying. He was the atonement for sin. He defeated Satan and set us free from bondage. Now death... Death is the universal human concern. The fear of death is the universal human concern. This week, um, I saw a blog post, um, and it was this this guy. Well, obviously, I saw the blog post because I follow him. Anyways, he was talking about this calendar that he just bought. It's called a 4,000-week life calendar, and it's a large poster that you put on the wall, and there's little boxes. There's 4,000 boxes on the calendar and that's one box for every week of your life on average. And so as you go through life and as you complete each week, you take a, your biro, your Sharpie and you fill in, you fill in the box and then, so now you can be, you can be in your office and you can be working away and maybe you're feeling like you're gonna procrastinate a little bit and then you can look over and, I've only got 2,000 weeks left, I better get on it. But it lets you know, how long you have, how many weeks you have in your life to get stuff done. That is a serious attitude about time management, I think. I'm not thinking about what I need to get done this week in terms of when I'm going to die. But anyways, I think you get the point. This is Death is a concern. Death is the universal concern and we see this, we see this all around us because we have hospitals to heal the sick and to keep people alive. You go to your GP, when you don't feel well, you exercise and you eat right so that you can stay healthy and live a long life. Because prolonging life is something that we're very concerned with. Right now, we have all felt this very acutely over the last two years, haven't we? We wear masks. We hand sanitize like we hand sanitize like there's a bunch of hand sanitizers that we gotta get rid of and we gotta use it somehow. That's how much we use it. You sanitize when you enter the shop. You sanitize when you leave the shop. We get vaccines. We get booster shots. We rarely shake hands these days. And this is all to protect ourselves and those around us from a virus that can kill. Because death concerns us all. Now where does this power of death come from? Or how did the devil get that power? I think we know that story, but we're going to... To, uh, to answer that question anyways so uh, look back to you don't have to actually look back but anyways look back to Genesis chapter 2 16 and 17 God says to Adam you may surely eat of every tree in the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and we know what happened after that this is where sin enters the world and we know that this isn't a physical death that God's talking about right this is a spiritual death this is separation of man from God by sin this is the power of death separation from God spiritual death and this is why Jesus came so look at verse 14 Hebrews 2:14 in the second half Jesus through his own death destroys the one who has the power of death the devil. Jesus doesn't destroy Satan in the sense that he's annihilated or that he ceases to exist. We know that doesn't happen until the end. Yes, I licked my finger and I'll sanitize later. We know that doesn't happen until the end. That would be jumping too far ahead, too fast. That doesn't happen until Revelation 20 when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. Here, Satan is destroyed in the sense that he is no longer able to wage war against those who Jesus has freed. Satan remains, but he doesn't have power over us. And to do this, it had to be death. Why did it have to be death? Well, as we all know, in Leviticus 17.11, we see that it is the blood that makes atonement for life. And if we think about what we know throughout the rest of Leviticus and the Old Testament system, we know that blood is the payment for sin. Blood is what atones for life that's the entire sacrifice the, old, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system so it had to be death because blood is what's required for atonement and note note what's being said here in Hebrews um, 14 we love Easter uh, if I'm an American, so I'm going to say Easter is the Christian Super Bowl. This is the biggest event of the year. We are celebrating Jesus' triumph over death, his resurrection from the dead. But look, look what's here. And, and, and because of our, our Christian theology, that's how we think of Jesus conquering death. We think of the resurrection. But here, it's not, it's not Jesus' resurrection that destroys the devil. It's his death. It says, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Through Jesus' death on the cross, he is the atoning sacrifice that pays the price for our sin. Because our sin has been pardoned, we are no longer under death, and that's why Satan has no power over us. That's why we're free. And in order for this to happen, Jesus, God the Son, he had to live. He had to become human. Because unless he's human, he cannot die. So, here's the answer to the question. Why did Jesus have to become human? In summary, what we've covered so far, Jesus became human so that he could free us from sin through death. Through his death. Now there's more to the story. Still got three verses to go. So let's look at the next section and see two other things the author of Hebrews, wants us to know about Jesus becoming flesh and blood. So I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses 16, 17, and 18. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, verse 16, the the bit about not helping angels but helping the offspring of Abraham, that was a bit puzzling to me. As I was reading this, I, I just... And, and whenever I read this, I thought, well, that's kind of just like a weird sentence just to throw in the middle here. Um, so fortunately, there's a lot of really smart people in this world, uh, and they, they write books. And those were able to really help me work out what is going on here. And so maybe you're confused, too, so I'm going to explain that bit. Um, so what the author is saying here, and it's really kind of simple, it's not angels Jesus helps. It's the children of Abraham. And this is in the context of Jesus coming to earth in human form. So Jesus didn't stay in heaven to help the angels. He came down here. He came down to earth to help us. And the help that Jesus gives, it's not like when I unload the dishwasher. It's not like doing chores around the house. Um, The word for help here can also be translated take hold. So It's not angels that Jesus takes hold of, but he takes hold of the offspring of Abraham. And this is like seizing or grasping by the hand. So Jesus takes hold of us. He grabs us by the hand and he helps us. The word here is giving the idea that Jesus is with us, he's alongside of us. Just like Moses leading the people through the desert, he went with them, he went alongside them to the promised land. Moses was there leading the way for the people. Jesus is with us. He's seized us. He's holding us. And he's helping us and showing us the way. Now, verse 17. First half. Therefore, because of this, because Jesus is here to help us, because of this, Because Jesus takes hold of us, He had to be made like His brothers, and it says in every respect. Pay attention here, because this is one of the two points that the author of Hebrews is trying to is is making right here. Uh, Because I said there's two points, this is one of them. So remember the context: Jesus has come to earth; He's in human form, and what we see that He says here, He's made like His brothers in every respect. Jesus is fully human; He's fully God. He's fully divine. He's fully human as well. And this is really important. Jesus is fully God. He's fully divine. And he's fully human. We'll come back to this here in a little bit. Now look at verse 17 in the second half. Jesus was made like his brothers in every way so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sin of the people. Jesus is the new, the final high priest and this is a big part of Hebrews Jesus as the high priest this is, a, this, this is what Hebrews is about but it's not what's in focus right now so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because the author here is just introducing something that's going to be expanded on just in a minute later in the book Or in the letter. But Jesus is the high priest. Because he is like his brothers in every way. And he. uh, Excuse me. Jesus as the high priest. Because he is like his brothers in every way. Is able to become the good high priest. A high priest that is merciful and faithful. Jesus mercy. Comes from his faithfulness. And it means also. That his mercy is continual it doesn't end he's faithful in his mercy and he's merciful because of his faithfulness and finally verse 18 for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted so to understand what this meant this this means by Jesus suffering and his uh, his temptation or his testing—some of your Bibles may say testing instead of tempting. Let's look back again. What we looked at in the—you know—a minute ago at verse two ten. That Jesus is the founder of salvation, made perfect, complete. Jesus here perfection means complete through suffering. And the reason I say complete because you, you might think, oh, Jesus was imperfect, so he was made—you know—he was made perfect through his suffering. No, uh, perfect can mean without flaw, but perfect can also mean complete. So, Jesus is the founder of salvation, made complete through his suffering. And so in 2.14, which we just looked at a minute minute ago, which referenced Jesus' death on the cross, and this is suffering indeed. Because Jesus suffered through his death, he helped those who were freed from the oppression of sin and death. Because Jesus suffered, those who have... uh, those who have become the offspring of Abraham, he is able to come alongside and take hold of them. And here, because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, and Jesus certainly was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. Jesus certainly does help us when we're tempted by sin. But here, what I think makes more sense is what the author is talking about is Jesus' temptation to turn away from the faith. Temptation to be unfaithful to God. See, Jesus was tempted this way. In Luke 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil. He was tempted to take a shortcut. The devil says to him, I will give you authority over the whole world if you will worship me. A shortcut to the end? Skipping the crucifixion? That would be a temptation. Jesus is also tempted when he's on the cross. And we see in Mark 15 that he's uh, ridiculed save yourself if you're god if you're god save yourself come down from the cross an end to the suffering but no jesus doesn't take the these easy ways out because he's faithful he does not give up in spite of what it will cost him so jesus knows what it means to be tempted to turn away so when we in turn are tempted to turn away to abandon the faith because of the suffering we might endure jesus knows He knows what it's like, and he knows what it means to endure. And he will help those, as it says here, who are being tempted. And why can he do this? Because he came to earth, took on flesh and blood. He became fully human. Okay, so what we've been talking about this morning is called the incarnation. The incarnation means talking about Jesus' humanity, Jesus becoming human. The incarnation is a big deal in Hebrews. It's also referenced throughout the New Testament. We see in John 1:14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And maybe one of the best known passages, maybe one of the best known passages is Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 8, where it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the incarnation is what we're talking about. And why? why are we talking about this? Maybe you're thinking, like I mentioned back at the beginning, maybe you're thinking, I know Jesus is the Son of God, and I know he died for me, but I don't know. I still don't know why I should be bothered about this. Or maybe you know what the Incarnation is, but you're not sure why it's important to understand. I have a hard time, myself, I have a hard time understanding Jesus as fully human. I understand it intellectually, but I have a hard time moving past just acknowledging the fact of the Incarnation into understanding What it really means. It's hard for me to imagine Jesus as fully human, human, even though I know that it's true. And I don't think that I'm the only one that feels this way, that has trouble with this. See, it's easy for me to think of Jesus in a glorious way. He's the Son of God, the creator of the universe. He's the suffering Messiah. He's my Savior and Lord. But to think of Jesus in the mundane of everyday life is hard. And it's a little bit uncomfortable, Again, I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with this. So I'm, I'm going to read uh, a little bit of a long quote. It's uh, from, uh, this is from Max Lucado. Um, the book is called God Came Near. Uh, and I think he just puts it, puts it well. Uh, the uncomfortable, you know, the, the, the mundane, you know, everyday things that we don't think of about Jesus' humanity. So, G- so angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. Maybe his parents wondered, how long can it possibly take to put on a pair of shoes? Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him, or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing is for sure, he was, while completely divine completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds. He burped. Had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. And his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light well, seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean up the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, and pretend he never snored, blew his nose, or hit his thumb with a hammer. It is uncomfortable, and it does feel irreverent. I understand. I really understand that. But there's danger here. There's danger that if I embrace the deity of Jesus, but I hold his humanity at arm's length, I risk stepping into an incorrect view of Jesus, of who he is, what he's doing. A view of Jesus that denies his humanity, denies what he did on earth. It denies his true nature. Here's another example for you from a little uh, little later in Hebrews. uh, Hebrews 4.15 it says that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness because he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin if I don't understand the incarnation if I don't understand Jesus' humanity that he is fully human I might think something like well that's easy enough for Jesus to uh, you know not give in to temptation To not sin. He's God. He's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But that doesn't take into account. That Jesus is fully human. The verse says. Jesus was tempted as we are. And it says that in every respect. So just like in verse 17. Where Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect. Here. Jesus was tempted. Like you and me. In every respect. Think about that. Jesus knows what you're going through. He's been there. When you're faced with seemingly overwhelming temptation, Jesus knows. He knows what it's like because he's been there himself. That's why in verse 17 that we just looked at, that's why Jesus becomes the merciful and faithful high priest. That's why in Hebrews 16, excuse me, Hebrews 4, verse 16, we see that because Jesus is fully human, because he's been tempted in every respect, as we have been, we can confidently draw near to the throne of grace that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So it's important to understand Jesus' humanity, not just so that I don't hold a heretical view, It's important, like I said at the beginning, because it helps me to understand him and to know him. To know his love for me and in turn for me to love him more. It increases my love for Jesus. Understanding the incarnation gives me the confidence I need to go to Jesus and know that he will be merciful and that he will help To understand what happened when the Word became flesh is to understand the great lengths that God went to in order to restore my relationship to Him. And this, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. The creator of the universe who made the stars, who made the galaxy, He humbled Himself. He became flesh and blood. He entered His own creation. He endured suffering, humiliation, and death in order to restore right relationship with me and with you. So what do we do? We celebrate. So let's celebrate. Let's praise Jesus, thanking him for what he's done for us. Let's praise God, thanking him for his wisdom in sending Jesus for us. We sing songs of worship and praise like the angels who burst out of heaven, unable to contain their joy, singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Jason read this morning in Psalm 33, shout for joy in the Lord. Now some of this, what I just said, that might be a bit abstract. So if you want something specific to do to celebrate the incarnation as we look forward to Christmas, here's a couple ideas. Set aside some time this week. Set aside in your regular quiet time. Set aside some time to reflect or meditate on Jesus' humanity. The more that you understand what Jesus accomplished, the more you're able to celebrate it. And you can use this passage from today, Hebrews 2, 14 to 18, you can use that as a starting point. Spend time in prayer. That's another thing you can do. Spend time in prayer. Ask God to work in your heart and to work in your mind to help you understand, to help you understand the incarnation, understand why it's important and to show you if you need to change your understanding of who Jesus is. This is God's story. If anybody can help you to understand it, he's the one. He's the one that will do it. If you want to do some reading, read the book of Hebrews. It's 13 chapters. It takes 45 minutes to an hour to read if you do it in one sitting. We saw that G- we saw that Hebrews uh, we saw that Hebrews is about Jesus as the high priest. So Read Hebrews with that in mind and look to see what, what what this letter says about Jesus being the high priest. For myself, uh, I'm doing it what something I saw, I saw this week, something else that was really interesting to me is I'm doing the, just like an Advent devotional through just an app. Excuse me, a Bible app on my phone. And one of the readings that came up this week while I was preparing for the sermon was uh, Leviticus chapter 16, which is about the Day of Atonement. And so as I'm studying this passage in Hebrews and, you know, and and meditating on Jesus, you know, as the high priest, I'm reading this this chapter about the day of atonement and everything that the high priest does, all the sacrifices that are made. So go read, you can do that this week. Go read Leviticus chapter 16. Pay attention to what the high priest does. Pay attention to the sacrifices and then go read Hebrews. paying attention to what Jesus does as the high priest. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You haven't given your life to Jesus. Well, why not consider doing that today? Maybe you've attended church for a while, but you're not sure. Pray this week. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Maybe you're here today or watching online, listening to the podcast and you're not sure about God, you're not sure he's really there, you can do the same thing. You can pray to him even if you're not sure. If, even if you're not sure he's there, that he's listening. Take a moment today or sometime this week ask God to show himself to you. If that sounds interesting to you or if you have any questions about what it means to become a Christian or to give your life to Jesus, come find me, Jason, pretty much anybody else here in the room. We'd love to have a chat with you. You can contact us through Facebook or the website. But let's go forward this week praising Jesus for who he is and what he's done as we look forward to celebrating his birth in a few weeks. Now I'll pray. Lord, Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for coming to earth. We thank you for coming to rescue us and for what you did. Lord, it's a hard hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing for our minds to grasp. How How can you be fully God and fully human? Lord, I ask, we ask that you speak to us this week, that you help us to understand this. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, through those around us, that we would see where we have incorrect views about you. And not just, not just with the incarnation, but in, in, any, in any way, Lord, reveal to us how, how we can know you more, know you more truly and fully. Lord, um, go with us this week as we go out into the world. Lord, divide excuse me unite our divided hearts lord we have we have hearts that that want to stray from you and we have hearts that want to follow you lord i pray that you would unite unite our hearts unite our minds to follow after you to spend time with you lord give us give us promptings from the spirit this week to spend time in your word to spend time with you in prayer to spend time meditating and reflecting on what you've done for us Teach us to know you. Teach us to love you. These things we pray in your name. Amen.